those of you joining us on uh, our portals on Livegate Outreach TV, on the uh, video channel, YouTube, and also all the audio portals on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, uh, all the other uh, um, portals of audio. We have Buzzsprouts as well. We are on many platforms, and we are truly grateful to God for the privilege to be able to be there. Also, thank you for the following on Facebook. Our following on Facebook has grown tremendously in the last two years, and we want to give God praise. Let's put the Lord, let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. We also want to thank those who follow us on Instagram. We are not as active on Instagram and Twitter as we are on Facebook, but thank you all for being there, and we want to thank God for your lives. Continue to spread the word, and let us continue to enjoy God together in the name of Jesus. I want to welcome you to a brand new series we are starting today. This church is a church of teaching. It's a, it's a teaching church, and so we, we value a lot the teaching of the Word of God. And as we start this covenant season of restful increase, the Lord has helped us to start a new series for this month called Accessing Restful Increase. Accessing Restful Increase. And our first topic, as you can see on the banner, you can see that the design of our banners have changed as well. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Amen. And now we show all our social media presence, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Instagram. Those two at the bottom are our Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. If you have these podcasts on your phone, you just need to look for LiveGate Outreach Center exactly as it's printed there. You will find all our messages from the last couple of years. It is a privilege. And uh, this, this uh, series, Accessing Restful Increase, we will have four topics, which are on doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. And we are starting on the topic, following doctrine for restful increase today. Following doctrine for restful increase. The Lord will grant you restful increase indeed in the name of Jesus. And so God's provision for us as children of God is restful increase. This is not just a theme that we pulled out and plucked out of the air. This is not just a set of words that just soothes the, the psyche of man. But this is God's way of enforcing exactly what he desires to do in the lives of men and women. And you and I must embrace these seasons in totality. We've used the, the sea view as uh, something to just simplify rest. And many times, if you, if you are like me, if you take a holiday and you have the opportunity, if you are like me, I don't swim. For some strange reason, me and swimming don't go together. Uh, but let's leave that for another day. Uh, so I don't swim at all, even if it's uh, one, one meter deep. I don't go inside. <laughs> Praise God. But I like to stay by the seaside because it is one of the places where you enjoy the biggest of inspiration. When you see the vast expanse of the ocean, your mind speaks of God's greatness many times. So when God talks about restful increase, he's telling us that this is a time that he wants to truly increase us, but this increase is not going to be the sole result of your efforts. Whilst you labor as he commands, it will be as a result of him anointing the work of your hands and causing you to increase even beyond your measure uh, and beyond your effort. And that will be our portion in Jesus' name. Jesus showed us the example in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. He said, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. 
Somebody say he increased. Now, this is the Jesus that we all celebrated a couple of weeks ago. We celebrated his presence. He's been born into this life. We celebrated him. And the Bible makes us to understand that as he was born, he increased. Now, everything Jesus did was for us to learn an example of what he expects should happen to us as his children. So he increased in wisdom. You will increase in wisdom. He increased in stature. You will continue to increase in stature. Increase in stature doesn't mean you are just growing in height. It also means that you are physically healthy. You are physically strong. Hallelujah. People will see you and not believe your age. I say people will see you and not believe your age. In the name of Jesus. It's a very good feeling. It's a very, very good feeling. One of my friends, one of my friends, he's a year older than me. Just a couple of years ago, he went into a library in Hertfordshire. And uh, he was studying with some children in a community library. So he saw a child who was reading for his A-levels. And his, this is my friend's son, has already finished A-levels at that time. He was reading for, the boy was reading for his A-levels. So he engaged the young boy, said, how are you doing? You enjoy, what are your subjects? And blah, blah, blah. So after he told my friend, he now looked at my friend. He said, when are you doing your own A-levels? <laughs> Hallelujah. So it's a good thing when young people think that you are their age mates. That is increasing in stature. That is being blessed. Hallelujah. All those people selling age, age, anti-age, they should come and, they should come and consult some of us. <laughs> we will tell them how to sell without making any product at all. Just believe God and your stature will be renewed. And the Bible says he grew in favor with God and with man. So there is increase in every area. There is increase in the spirit. There is increase in your intellect. There is increase in your physical being. And there is increase in your emotional beings, your social life. God wants you to have healthy relationships. There are some relationships you need to increase. There are some relationships with God you need to increase. And some relationships with man you need to increase. What do I mean by that? God has positioned certain people in our lives. And many times what the devil tries to do is to pervert and make difficult those relationships that are necessary for us. We must be discerning. Of course, there are also relationships we need to walk away from. It is all part of increase. When Lot and Abraham separated, it was not a separation that was, that was looking, it looked bad in the natural, but it was good. It was for their increase. Because by the time Lot was eventually captured, Abraham was able to come back to rescue him. Praise the Lord. So we must understand that God has a purpose for everything. Jesus said on the cross overnight, we read Matthew 11, verse 28 to verse 29. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The promise of rest has come from the Lord. You see, if I say come to me tomorrow and I will give you something, that means I have it. That means I have it. But the truth is, there is nothing I can do about it if you don't come. No matter how hard I try, if it is something physical I have to give to you and you need to be in my presence to take it, then you cannot take it. It's as simple as that. No matter how much we do everything, if we don't know how to go to him and how to uh, put our labor to him and then take off his rest, we can't partake of it. But this year you will partake of his rest in the name of Jesus. He asked us, like we looked at on the cross overnight, he said, verse 29, take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. The words learn from me is where we get the word doctrine. Learn from me. 
You see, doctrine is what God put down to be the guide for as many that will desire the true rest of God. Doctrine is not what we use to argue our faith. Doctrine is not a religious set of do's and don'ts. Doctrine is the divine principle of God to help us learn from the one who has promised us rest. He said, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. May God continue to help you and I to find rest. Too many people are troubled in our times. And rightly so. The news items, the things that happen in the physical, the, the situation of our country today, the situation of our countries around the world, the politics and the so many things that are happening across the world are causing for concern. But you and I must understand that the one who knows everything said we should come to him, take his yoke, learn from him. The things that he taught us, how he was able to rest in a, in a, in a, in a boat that was about to capsize due to, due to heavy storms and winds, and how he was able to sleep. The things that he taught us on how he was not perturbed when they asked him to pay tax and he was just at rest in paying his tax. The things that he taught us in how he was able to lay down his life and let people spit on him, let people call him names, let people, you know, nail him to a cross and, and call him the, the king of the Jews and mock him. The things that he took by allowing people to whip him with the cords are things that if we learn from him, we learn certain doctrines that will help us to gain victory and rest like he did. Biblical doctrine therefore helps us to understand the will of God for man. He said, learn from me. This year, as we start out, I want you to make it a duty and a determination that you will learn from him. Listen to me, friends. The degree to which you are enjoying God's rest is the degree up to which you have learned from him. The more you learn, the more you are at rest. The more you learn, the more you'll be at rest. The more you know, the better for you. Whether it's your personal life, whether it's your marriage, whether it has to do with your job, whatever situation, the more you learn, the more you know. Those of us who are into different professions, you will understand and agree with me that when you graduated, maybe you've been graduated three years now and you for 10 years now and you've been practicing, you will admit with me that the first two, three years of your life, of your professional life, you weren't too sure about certain things. But as you grow and you learn and you gain experience, you are able to confidently teach. The first day I taught a group of people many years ago, the first day I taught, I didn't look back at all. Every time I look back, I did it for one minute, then I faced the board again and quickly did that and did that. <laughs> because every time I saw their faces, I was confused about what I was saying. <laughs> but today, put me in any country, a few weeks, four weeks ago, I was teaching in Germany, and I walked into this MSc class. You know, Germans are hotheads. Germans and Austrians are very brilliant people. They are very brilliant minds. Forget what you read. And uh, you could be intimidated because they're, they're very clever chaps, you know, late 20s, mid 20s, that kind of age, very sharp, sharp minds. When I walked into the class and I saw their faces, I smiled. I said, I've been this journey for 30 years. You can't harass me. <laughs> I said to myself, because you see, there's a stage you get, you learn, and then you, that is how your spiritual life also, there is a way the devil comes around you and you smile. And he gets frustrated because you have learned. 
You have learned from the one who said, learn from me, and you have understood his principles about how to maintain rest, even in the midst of trouble. May God continue to grant us deep insights in Jesus' name. I want to tell us some things, five things that are very basic in Christian doctrine. You see, Christianity, in terms of denominational understanding and what we all practice, may have slight variations. And that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong when we, when we allow our Christian doctrines to help as much as possible our understanding of scripture because of our cultural background. What do I mean by that? One of the reasons why we're finding it difficult to raise multicultural churches in our time today, where you find that some churches are very strong Caucasian, very strong Asian, very strong black African, very strong black Caribbean, and so on, is the fact that we have not developed enough to understand how to be fluid with the culture of the Bible. We are still very rigidly set in our ways and in our natural cultures, and so we tend to have worship styles that vary from from point to point. When I first went to Ethiopia in the year 1999, and the way they were dancing, I was shocked. Then I saw that that's how they naturally dance. They jump, jump, like people who are like frogs, like that. That's how they dance. When they start the music, they'll just be jumping, jumping. I looked, I said, which kind of church is this one? So it takes me two minutes to adapt to your culture. So as soon as they started the next song, me too, I followed them. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> If it is jumping that we will jump to serve this God, let's go. Hallelujah. Where I was raised up an evangelical church, you, sh you are not allowed to clap. Clapping was seen like a, 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 a social thing for people who are in theaters and stadium. So when the choir finishes singing, no matter how anointed the song is and no matter how sweet, you raise your right hand to say, God bless you. That is all. Don't talk. Don't say anything. <laughs> If you come and you clap, some ushers will just come and bundle you up. <laughs> I've been through things. And you see, at the end of the day, it's all about variants of the doctrine. The key thing there is worship is accepted. Praise the Lord. So I want to tell us five things that no matter who we are as Christians, we must accept. If any of this is missing, that person or those people are not Christians. This is proof from Bible. And I want you to note them. And also when you are discussing with your Andrews, you are as Andrews, the people you want to reach this year with the gospel and you want to share with people generally, you must be able to know when they ask you these questions about the, the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, these five things must always be something we can explain. And the first one is that as Christians, we have total 100% acceptance that the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It is very important that we don't negotiate that. Now, political correctness tells us in our day and age to accept that every script that is written and believed by people as the word of God is acceptable. Whilst we don't condemn anybody, our own faith and our own belief, and while we don't judge anybody and we don't condemn anybody, our own faith and our own belief is that the Bible, somebody said the Bible, is the word of God. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, it said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All scripture, all scripture, all scripture. Our themes from this month have come from this verse alone. 
because they are profitable for doctrine. We're looking at doctrine today. They are profitable for reproof. We'll look at reproof next week. They are profitable for correction. We'll look at correction next week. And they are profitable for instruction. We'll look at instruction in the last week of the, uh, uh, of the month. And it is important that we understand that the profit of scripture, uh, the profit of God is contained in, in the scripture. It says all scripture. Not the Old Testament, not the New Testament, not parts of the Old, not parts of the New. Whilst there are practices in the Old Testament that we no longer practice because they were specific for the generation of the Jews and the Hebrews of those days, but that does not make us deny that they are the Word of God that have a form, in that that were showing a form of what was to come and what we now practice. Praise the Lord. In their days, they worshipped in tabernacles. Then they worshipped in temples. Now, we don't worship only in temples built by hands because we worship God in spirit and in truth. But at the same time, we take a form of what they did by coming together and not neglecting the assembling together of one another. We, we come together and wherever we gather is Mount Zion. Whether it's under a tree, whether it's in a building, whether it's in a movie theater, whether it's in a park, anywhere we gather and the Lord is present in the name of Jesus, that place is declared as Mount Zion. But the form of it came from what they did in the Old Testament and so on and so forth. All scripture, somebody say all scripture, is given by the inspiration of God. So we are to be rest assured that the scriptures contain everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Anything that you need in this life is already contained. The provision is already contained in the word of God. Take it from me. You just need to find it. Everything. Is it the peace of your heart? Is it the wisdom for your marriage? Is it wisdom for your, for your career? Is it wisdom to know how to run your life? How to manage your finances? Is it wisdom to know how to relate with people? Is it wisdom to know how to relate with your husband or your wife? Or how to raise your children? Or is it any wisdom whatsoever? Is it wisdom to know how to treat your employer and gain favor? Is it wisdom to know how to treat employees and win their loyalty? Every wisdom... Everything you need is packaged in the word of God. And we must understand that the doctrine of accepting the word of God as the infallible, uh, the, the scriptures as the infallible word of God is non-negotiable for us as Christians. So if you are here today and you are still doubting and you still have part of your heart that is saying, maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure. You know, these days we, are, we, we need to be critical. We need to be objective. I want you to follow the principle of scripture. Psalm 34 verse 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, the, 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 the science tells us test and then accept. But God says, come and then test. You have to accept before you test. You have to accept God before you are able to prove him. In science, you prove, then you accept. You prove a theory, then you accept. But in the faith, it is the other way around. You have to come by faith, then you accept. Then you can prove it. When he said, give me tithes and offerings, he said, prove me now in this. You give it first. You give it first. You pay it first. 
Some of us did it once and then we saw, ah, and for 30 years we have been doing it. <laughs> because we saw that it is very true. It is very true. He opens the windows of heaven. It is very true. He rebukes the devourer. It is very true. But if you are trying to negotiate and argue it before, you will never ever be able to get to it. And this is what believers must understand. All scripture, somebody say all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So we must believe it in its entirety because our rest is guaranteed thereby. Number two, every believer must believe and accept that God is three in one. The Trinity must not be negotiated. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the three are one. First John chapter five, verse six. First John chapter five, verse six. Let's read together. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, and is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is true. Now let's shout verse 7 together. This is a verse every believer must know. When anybody asks you, one of the many verses, but this one you must never forget. When anybody asks you that where is it proven that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. Remember 1 John 5, 7 every time. Let's read it together loud and clear. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are, and these three are, that is the proof of the Trinity. The next verse talks about the three that bear witness and record in, on earth. But we are focused on the three that are one. The witness is in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. That is why when man was going to be created, they said, let us go. He didn't say, now I'm going to create man in my image. He said, let us go and let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. When man began to build the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, he said, come down. Let us go down and confuse their language. Let us go down. So the word us there is referring to the triune nature of God. And believers must understand that this is important. What does that mean to us? Say, we belong to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. This will change your, your thinking. When you understand this, it changes your stress levels. When you understand that you belong to the Father. Listen, if you know your Father, if your Father is somebody of note in any society, are you not confident to go about and tell people that that is your Father? You are always confident. It's a natural thing. It's a natural thing. In fact, you don't need to announce it. When people know your father and they know you, as soon as you are coming, they accord you the respect. Tony, Tony Evans, Mr. Pastor Dr. Tony Evans in the United States recently sadly lost his wife. A great servant of God, great servant of God has worked so hard. He's working so hard in the kingdom. He said one day his son appeared at the airport uh, and uh, they normally give him first class because, you know, he's, he's a frequent flyer and all that within the States. And uh, he was talking about a, a, a funny testimony. He said his son appeared and he, when he was to, to board, they looked at him. His son, they looked at him. Mr. Evans, sorry, you look like. He said, yes. <laughs> he said he didn't even let him. He said, yes. Said, you Tony Evans' son? He said, yes. He said, oh, sorry. Very sorry, sir. We're upgrading your seat to the first class. His son. His son, that has nothing to do with him. He did, boy, he didn't pay for anything. But the fact that he was Tony Evans' son. When you have a father, 
that is respected, a man of honor, a man of dignity, a man of re repute, uh, you are always very pleased to be associated with him. Praise the Lord. If you know your father, God the Father, as the one who rules all and the one who oversees all, to whom we all belong, then you will never be ashamed of declaring him. And more so, Jesus, his only begotten son, is giving us the passport to him. John 14, 6, the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And then the Holy Spirit works in us, bearing witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. Romans 8, 14. Every time the Holy Spirit walks in us and is walking in us, telling us every time you feel, oh, I'm distant from the Father, the Holy Spirit said, no, you are the Son of God. He said, but you see, I fell again. I did this. I said that. I fought. I did this. I thought like this. I, I went into that sin. I did that. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you are, you are, all you need to do is to go back to the Father and repent. Go back to the Father and let the Father bless you. Let the Father help you. And as the Father declares you justified, I will help you to stand. So we belong to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. We must understand this about the Trinity. It helps us to remain stable. Many of us did not know this in time. So we got born again and born again, born again, born again every time. When we fell, we went back to church. And when they say, anybody want to born again, we come out again and say, please, I want to born again. <laughs> because we didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go to hell? Nobody wants to go to hell. There used to be a film when I was very young. It was called Born in Hell. I mean, how many people watched that film before? Ah, very, very good. Very scary film. You can't watch it and remain this. If you remain the same, the devil has really, really tried. <laughs> Even the people, one day they brought it to my secondary school. That was the one that beat me. We were about 40 years old. Even the people who brought the film, some of them got born again. again. I said, ah, you have been carrying this film about. <laughs> when they gave us a call, the man who was showing the film came and knelt down with us. <laughs> I said, ah, you, have been, you have been showing this film all over the country. You are still born again. <laughs> Nobody wants to go to hell. <laughs> but the reality is that if we understand the Trinity, not just for the cliché, not just for the semantics, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If we understand the workings of the Trinity and how we relate with God in the workings of the Trinity, we are more established and we are more at ease with our salvation. May God continue to grant us understanding in the name of Jesus. So what is the first principle? The Bible. The Bible is God's word. It's the word of God. Number two, the Trinity. God is three in one. Then number three. Jesus is fully God. This is where we have a little bit of dispute with some of our, I would say, faiths or religions that are very close to the Christian faith in terms of what they believe about God. They believe that Jesus was born supernaturally. They believe that Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is, a, But they don't accept that Jesus is fully God. And we as Christians must stay on that and believe that. As I've said, staying on something and holding on to our beliefs has nothing to do with showing disrespect for others. Or hating them. It's just that it is what we believe and what makes us Christians. Christ followers. John chapter 1 from verse 1. Jesus is fully God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. In number 2, number 2, number 2, verse 2. And he was in the beginning with God, verse 3. All things were made through him. 
And without him, nothing was made that was made. Verse 3 is very important. Verse 4 now. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14. And the word became flesh, and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Very important for us to realize. The Word became flesh. The Word was God, verse 1. Verse 4 says, the Word, let's go back to verse 4. He said, all things in him was life. Sorry, verse 3, verse 3, verse 3, sorry. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So, the one who made all things, the one who was God and with God and made all things became flesh. Why? Because he showed us that the creator can live with the created. And the creator can share the passions of the created. The creator can also share the pains of the created. The Bible says he was tempted at all points and yet he knew no sin. Even though he was rich, he became poor. So that he, we, we, through his poverty, might become rich. He felt our infirmities. He took our pain. He took our shame. And what does that do for you as a Christian? It enforces and reinforces your belief system. Knowing fully well that there is nothing you are going through today that he has not been through before. Even though he was the created. Even though he is the created. Even though he is the creator. He relates with us as the created. He was not created at all. He is the creator who made all things. The one who existed before time. The one who was not made by any, but yet made everything. We must know how to relate with him. You see, when you are with the manufacturer of something, you know that you are very confident. Somehow, yesterday I was looking, I was just, I like to follow some documentaries of certain things that have happened in history from time to time, and uh, this, there was this uh, airship in 1936 called the Hindenburg. One of the, you know, in the late 30s, uh, 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 the, the, the Germans were very, very strong technologically before, just before the war and during the war. They, that's why they were able to overpower many of the nations around them. The Hindenburg was built as an airship, one of the very, in fact, the very last airship that was built. These airships traveled just like ships on water, very slowly, but they have twice the speed. They, they have twice the speed of normal ships. So they could do Germany to America in about three days or less if everything goes okay. Ships used to do it as, as, as at that point, they are perfected it to do it for about six days. And then for some freak reason, this, this, this uh, airship got to America in 19, the, the first flight transatlantic got to America, got to New York, and then just caught fire just about the time it was to land. And they looked at everything. They thought of terrorism. They thought of maybe Jews and, you know, reprisals or whatever things, and all sorts of theories. But nothing could be proven until they brought the designer, who was still alive at that time. I've forgotten his name now. And when he came there, he looked at all the evidence of the people who were survivors, and because about 36 people died out of about 100 and something, so there were a lot of survivors. They interviewed them and collected data. And the interesting thing was that at the end, he was able to explain to them, without being there, what must have happened that led to the 
to, to the, I won't go into all the details now, but very interesting stuff. If you want to look at it, just go and uh, put on YouTube Hindenburg uh, Airship. I'm sure you'll find a lot of stories about it. But what intrigued me is that the moment they heard from the manufacturer, the designer, the case was closed. The moment he told them that this is what, he was not there. He was not physically there. They had everybody's witness. The pilots, the, 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 the captain, all of them. They, were, they gave their testimonies. They said, okay, we have heard you, we have heard you. Until that man was flown in or was actually shipped in because there were no commercial flights that time. Until he was shipped in from Germany six days later. And then they gave him 14 days to listen to all those testimonies. And then by the time he gave them what happened, how air must have escaped, how lightning must have caused the spark, and the hydrogen. Hydrogen is very flammable. It's not like helium. And then it exploded. And uh, they believed him and took it down. And I said, wow. That is a man who created something, having so much authority on what he created. How much more God, the creator? Read verse 3 with me again. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made, including your womb, including your leg, including your job, including your car, including your house. Listen, friends, the wisdom that God gave to man to be able to build these things has only come from him. No man could have built one, one hut if God did not give them wisdom. That's why some of our own, if you come from my background, some of our own forefathers, the, all the wisdom they had was to put more together and build one thing like that. <laughs> And some of them even started using it to build story building. Can you imagine? <laughs> but the, the people who continue to engage and stretch their minds continue to see the possibility of building things and building up to, you know, 10 floors, 20 floors, 30 floors, 100 floors. Today we have buildings that stand tall, almost one kilometer in height. Phenomenal stuff. Because all things were made through him, what this means is that every time you are going through as a created being, every time you are going through any situation and the devil is telling you or there is a medical report that is telling you that you cannot find rest again, you go before him and say, Lord, you made all things. You made all things. Nothing was made without you. My womb cannot be faulty. Nothing was made without you. This medical report cannot, cannot supersede that which you have done concerning me. And God will begin to show you how to draw strength. Now, listen, friends. God doesn't always answer the way we expect. And this may sound like a complete corollary, but it is valid. God doesn't always answer the way we expect. He knows what he's doing. And when he answers, he makes all things beautiful. And he will make all things beautiful for you in Jesus' name. Number four, we are saved by grace through faith. This is a doctrine that we must, as all believers, accept. Nobody works for salvation. There is no degree of your goodness, in quote, that can ever earn you and I salvation. We are saved by grace. Somebody say, I am saved by grace. Through faith. We need grace and faith. Grace comes from, grace is what he releases to us. Faith is what we release back to him. That's why the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the marriage of the two that keeps guaranteeing salvation. Grace comes from God. Faith is released by man. And faith is released by man put into God. It mixes up with grace and salvation comes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith is not of yourself, but it is the gift of God. Verse 9. 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. We must understand this, that we are saved by grace. The doctrine of grace and faith gives us restful assurance of obtaining and maintaining our salvation. It first gives us the assurance that we have obtained salvation. But in maintaining salvation, the Bible also makes us to understand that the just shall live by faith. Titus 2.11 tells us that we must continue to rely on grace because grace will continue to teach us to say no to ungodliness as we go in the journey. That is why when people get saved and they neglect the place of grace and faith, they find themselves falling every time, falling every time, struggling through the Christian faith. The more you know how, the same way you, you receive grace to say, Lord, I thank you, I'm born again, and you are set free, and those things that we, we confess and we are saved, the more, and we release faith, the more we have to continue to rely on the grace of God and grow by faith. The last thing I want to say as a fifth doctrine that we must never forget is that there is life after death. There is life after death. Believers must understand that every one of us are on a return ticket. We are on a return ticket that we have to use one day, whether you like it or not. This is not the one that you ride the airline and say, I don't want it again. <laughs> it is everybody is born into this world with it. The only difference with those who are saved is that everyone is born into the, the return ticket that is given to go to hell. You know why? The Bible says there is no one that is righteous. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Only God knows how he's going to judge infants and those that cannot take responsibility. I believe he knows in his wisdom. There's a lot of theology around that. But if you can hear me now, either physically or through the media, and you're understanding what I'm saying, that means you're already at the age of accountability. <laughs> People say, Pastor, what is this age of accountability? If you can understand what I'm saying now, you are accountable. <laughs> it's as simple as that. That's the, biggest, that's the simplest definition. It's not age 5 or 4 or 14. No, nothing like that. If you can understand what I'm saying now, and you can clear me clearly, you are accountable. That is as simple as that. We must understand that we have a return ticket. Hebrews chapter 9. The Bible says in verse 27. And it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. When we return, we face the judgment. Everybody will live forever. Every human being you see today, whether dead, buried, or alive, all over the world, every one of us will live forever. The difference between those who receive Christ and those who do not is the fact that there is eternal salvation for those who have received him and there is eternal damnation, unfortunately, for those who refuse him. And so every believer must live like this. Christ is coming back again. And this is for the final salvation of the saints. First. Thessalonians 4.16, we don't have time to read it now. The Bible says he would descend with a shout. He would descend with the voice of the archangel and that there would be the voice of joy shouting and the voice of the trumpets acclaiming his coming. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him and will be with him like that forever. 
Now, the doctrine of the afterlife is another area that there is doctrinal differences. People say rapture before tribulation, tribulation after rapture. You know, all those things don't matter. Just be on the right side. Just be on his side every time. If, if he comes and tribulation happens later, you are gone with him. If there is tribulation, you are covered. Hallelujah. At the end of the day, you go with him. That is the important thing. Don't, don't get hooked into theological doctrines that go nowhere. What you need to remember. You see, if you are like me, if I travel to a country, and I've, I've been to some very beautiful hotels, men, beautiful places where you know that this, this, is, this is built. Man, good. <laughs> but I never sleep in those places as if I'm going to live there forever. Never. Never. Because that's not my house. Even if they paid, somebody paid for one week that I should just be there. We are doing conference and they paid everything and I'm enjoying it. My mind is always on my return ticket. The day I'm going back, the day I'm going back. That is how believers must live. Whatever you attain in this world, PhD, DSC, you <laughs> and you are harassing everybody all over the place. One day, one day, <laughs> all that will mean nothing, absolutely nothing. Say, I'm the CEO of, of Google Play, <laughs> and our turnover is five, 520 billion. One day. All that would mean nothing. <laughs> Whether your turnover today is five pounds or even minus 50, because there are people who have minus 50 turnover, <laughs> minus 50 pounds turnover, or it is five trillion, one day all of it is going to mean nothing. Don't live this life as if you would die here. This is not your end. John 14, 1, Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Don't get hung up in your five-bedroom, six-bedroom, ten-bedroom house here. What is it? And you want to kill yourself over it? Enjoy your studio flat. If that's where you are living now. <laughs> Enjoy it. I have lived in studio flat in this country before. Some of you know my story. Those kind of flat that when you enter, everything looks at you. Kitchen is looking at you. Bedroom is looking at you. <laughs> when I came, I said, this country, is a, I've never seen such a house. I said, this is a very wicked country. How can you put one person in? <laughs> Hallelujah. So we used to do something. I won't go into that story today, but uh, I don't want to embarrass the young man. But there was a young man, very young man. <laughs> That was living in the house. He was just about two years old then. And I warned him because the toilet is not there. The toilet was upstairs. It was our own, but it was upstairs. And I, every time he would say, I want to go. So I hold him. We run up. I'm just watching uh, who wants to be a millionaire. Five minutes. You say, oh, I want to go again. I carry him. So one day I brought out a bottle. I say, from today. Please, I don't know why you're laughing. I don't know who you are laughing at, but I'm telling you my own story. <laughs> I say from today, when you need number one, use this bottle. But if it is number two, don't do anything in this room. <laughs> just tell me, even if I'm watching angels are flying, just let's go and do it. And then I told the young man, say, if you, we have visitor, if we have visitor, don't 
don't just don't even do anything. If we have visitors, don't go and touch that bottle. The man was cooperating. The thing was working well. One day, we had a visitor. He forgot completely. He just went to the cabinet and brought out the bottle. Before I knew what was happening, I flew from the corner of the room. <laughs> I quickly grabbed the man. I said, let's go. And so the brother saw that, man, this family needs a better house. <laughs> and God used him to actually help us find another place. So the reality is that you can live through today by the grace of God. There's a story has changed, but that was the story. Whether that, whether 10 bedrooms, one day there is judgment. The key thing is, are you ready? 2020, what are your plans? Show me your diary now. Show me, what did you plan? What is the need for God? What is the need for this kingdom? What is the need to show that you are really ready that he can come at any time? What is the need? The way some Christians are living, they don't believe that Jesus is coming. They say it. But if you believe, you will not be fighting anybody. Whether your wife, your husband, your church brother or sister, you will not have that time. If you believe that Jesus is coming, you will not be engaging in things that are sinful. You will not. You will live every minute because you are in expectation that he can return. Let us let these words set to us for 2020. The coming back of the Lord is not a bad thing. It is to help us to go and enjoy the fullness of eternal life. And I pray that you will enjoy the fullness of this life here on earth. And you will make it to heaven in Jesus' name. There is no point having a church that amasses every wealth and we demonstrate everything. But they are not going to heaven. That's a useless church. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is that which will enjoy in this life by the grace of God and in the life hereafter. So those are the five doctrines. Very quickly, number one, the Bible. Number two, the Trinity. God is three in one. Number three, Jesus is fully God. Number four, we are saved by grace through faith. And then number five, there is life after death. Rise to your feet and let us eat. The